Would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. This chapter is part of a familiar section of Scripture we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon given by our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, we're taught about kingdom living. Here is what life in the kingdom looks like. And certainly a significant part of of life in the kingdom is communing with our Heavenly Father in prayer. And here in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus gives us instruction on how we are to pray. How we are to approach our Heavenly Father. And so if you want to know how to bring your requests before God... or if you struggle to understand or, or even believe that, that God would bend his holy ear to hear your feeble cries for help, then this passage this morning is one you must pay careful t- attention to. So I'd invite you to stand in honor of God as we read his word together. We'll read from Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, and read through verse 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. You can be seated. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you give good gifts to your children. And we come as as needy people. We need your help. We need your wisdom. And so our prayer is that you would come. Give us hearts that are tender to receive your truth. We want to know you. Change us. Make us like Christ through your word, we ask in his name. Amen. Who of us would deny that, that prayer is vital to the Christian life? Some were raised in a home where you were taught from very young the importance, even the necessity of prayer. You saw it modeled for you. You watched your parents pray. And and you also saw prayer being modeled in the church. Others didn't have this experience. You came to Christ later in life, but you quickly realized the necessity of prayer. And so whether whether you are a believer who's been walking with Christ for many years, or you're a new believer, or you find yourself somewhere in between, we acknowledge together this morning that prayer is important. Indeed, it's, it's vital for our spiritual life. It's the way that we talk to God. And yet, and yet, as believers... There are times when we, we struggle. We find it difficult to approach our Heavenly Father. 
You've prayed for the salvation of someone you love. For years, you've pleaded with the Lord. And yet, there seems to be no interest in the things of God. And you wonder, do I continue to pray about this? God, do you hear? You've been praying about relief from from physical pain, but even this morning, that pain still nagged you as you made your way out of bed. We grow weary in our praying. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and, and you're restless because you remember the sins you've committed yet again. And there's a sense of shame and, and you're concerned about bringing this to your Father in heaven again. How could I God, go to God again with this? Or perhaps you're uncertain about a relational decision that you need to make. You know that you need wisdom You need help, but you're reluctant to ask because you've been in a situation similar to this before and you think, I should know better by now. And so whatever the reason, wherever we find ourselves this morning, our circumstances, we must acknowledge that we're needy people. We are people in need of help from God and therefore we must know how we are to approach him What we see in these verses is that the gracious character of our Heavenly Father emboldens us to bring our requests before Him, confident that He will hear and respond. The gracious character of our Heavenly Father emboldens us to bring our requests before Him, confident that He will hear and respond. These verses in Matthew 7 may be understood to be part of a a larger section here dealing with relationships. As chapter 7 begins, we're, we're taught how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters. And then in verse 6, we're given instruction for how how to relate to those who are staunchly opposed to the gospel. And now in these verses, we're given instruction on how we are to relate to our Heavenly Father. And so the first thing to note as we consider how we are to approach him is this. We ask our Heavenly Father believing his promises. We ask our Heavenly Father believing his promises. Notice in verse 7 there are three commands, three imperatives. Ask, seek, and knock. There's repetition here being used to drive home the point These words in the the original are in the present tense, which which communicates ongoing action. This is not a a one-time thing. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and, and keep on knocking. In other words, prayer is to be a way of life for the believer. This is encouragement for us to continue praying and not give up. Paul wrote succinctly in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Consider what we're doing when when we ask. We're communicating our frailty and our need. After all, a, a person who asks for help is a person in need. 
We begin with this recognition then that we are needy people. So first the commands, ask, seek, knock, followed by the promises. We see this in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Are these not words of comfort? Is it not a great comfort to know that your heavenly Father hears your prayer? Not only does he hear, but he responds. The command followed by the promise. But what are the things for which we are to ask and seek and knock? Let's look briefly at the verses that precede these here for instruction to help us further understand what it is we are to ask for. Chapter 7 begins talking about our relationship with others with other believers, and there we're told not to judge so that we be not judged. For with the judgment we pronounce, we will be judged. Jesus is not teaching here that we are never to make a judgment, which is often how this verse is construed. It's not what he's telling us. Rather, he's teaching us not to make an unfair judgment. He's teaching us that we're not to be censorious and critical of others. After being given instruction to not judge, we are told to, to remove the log from our own eye before attempting to remove the speck from our brother's eye. This is a matter of spiritual discernment. He tells us after we've removed the beam or the log from our own eye, we'll be able to see clearly to take the speck from our brother's eye. Notice Jesus doesn't say ignore the speck. This is consistent with what we read elsewhere in Matthew. Matthew 18 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. But how do I know when I've removed the beam from my own eye? How do I know when to approach my brother or sister and remove the speck from their eye? Is not this a matter of spiritual discernment? Something for which we are in desperate need of wisdom. We need wisdom. And so we ask, believing that our Lord will give us what is needed. Or look at verse 6. Here we're told not to give dogs what is holy and that we shouldn't throw our pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack us. But how will we know who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Is this not a matter of spiritual discernment? Can we see the heart? We know that we are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're to tell people everywhere of the gospel. And yet we come to a verse like this, and it clearly teaches us that we're to walk away from some. How are we to know? We must ask, seek, and knock. But we don't stop there. We ask believing the promises our Heavenly Father, of our Heavenly Father, namely, that He will give us what is needed. This is to say we ask in faith. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given him. 
but let him ask in faith. So we ask believing. Believing first that our God hears and believing his promises. So we see here in the context of Matthew 7 that we're taught that we must ask our Heavenly Father for wisdom and help in navigating relationships. We approach him believing his promises. But I believe this principle of asking, seeking, and knocking may be applied to all areas of life. We bring our request to our Heavenly Father believing that he's able to meet our needs. We should take comfort in this fact that our Father knows our needs even before we ask him and yet he calls us to bring our requests before him. Perhaps some clarification here would be helpful. As we consider these verse and verses and, and the broader applications, it would be wrong for us to conclude that here we have a blank check of sorts to bring before God and that he will give us everything we need simply because we've asked. This would be inconsistent with what we read elsewhere in the scripture about prayer. For example, just a few verses before this, we read in the Lord's Prayer. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we're taught to pray according to God's will. We might say we're to pray in a way consistent with the scripture. We remember the example of our Lord Jesus there in the garden. When he prayed, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we're taught that we are to pray according to the Lord's will. There are times when we don't receive what we've asked for because we're asking with wrong motives. James addresses this very issue. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, we read, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so we must acknowledge, we must recognize what all of Scripture teaches with regard to prayer. Times we may be tempted to think, it would be great if I asked for a thing and I received the thing. I've asked, I receive. But would it really be great? How, how many times have we asked for a thing and not received it, only later to look back and say, oh God, thank you. Thank you that I didn't get this thing that I've been asking for. Consider something like the purchase of a home, a house. You're in the market for a house for your family, and you're praying all, the, all along that the Lord will provide you just the perfect spot, and it seem, you seem to have found it. And so what do you do? You take the necessary steps towards making the purchase. And it comes right down to it, and at the last minute, the bottom falls out. And the purchase doesn't go through. It's only later that you come to, to find out that there's some serious issues with the house. And you say, God, thank you. Thank you for not giving me the house I wanted. We could say something similar about our physical health. At, at first, my prayer was that my broken body would be healed. 
But as we're called to suffer physically, we look back and see that it was better for us. For apart from this particular trial, we wouldn't know what we now know about the faithfulness of the Lord. These are just two examples of many that we could share. The point is this. We are limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our ability to know what is needed. Indeed, what is necessary for us. And so, when we don't receive the things we're asking for, we must not conclude that it's because our Father doesn't hear or that he doesn't care. It would be better for us to conclude that the thing we haven't received is not necessary. It's not needed at this time for us to fulfill the purpose that God has for us, and that is to be conformed to the image of Christ. God's plans for us are good plans. And so we ask our Heavenly Father, believing His promises. We believe that He knows what is best. We believe that He knows what is needed. This leads us to the second point. We ask our Heavenly Father, trusting His character. We ask our Heavenly Father, trusting His character. After giving these commands to ask and seek and knock, our Lord gives a picture to further the point. Look with me at verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The stone would have been something similar in size to a loaf of bread. And similar with the snake, It would look something like a fish, perhaps a catfish or an eel. It looks something similar, but it's not helpful to the child. Indeed, it could be something harmful. And so the obvious answers to these questions are, no, of course not. If your son comes to you and asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Of course not. One of our children has has often experienced episodes of really high fevers. And when she's, when she's experiencing these high fevers, it's not uncommon for her to cry out in the middle of the night, parched with thirst. And so when she cries out at night, would I, or more likely my wife, come into her and kneel down beside her bed and give her a cup and she's expecting to take this cup full of cool water and quench her thirst only to find that the cup is empty? The answer is, of course not. Of course not. Jesus makes the contrast. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? There's a contrast here between earthly and heavenly. Earthly Father and heavenly Father. Let's look at a couple phrases here to help us understand the point our Lord is making. These two phrases, first, if you, then, and how much more? If you, then, being evil, even the best of earthly fathers are rightly called evil, we're corrupt in heart, we are selfish by nature. I gave the example of my daughter waking up through the night. And of course, my desire is to help her. 
to quench her thirst. But at the same time, I'm also hopeful that one of two things will happen. One, my wife will jump out of bed before I do, which is likely the case. Or two, that somehow she would just kind of drift off to sleep and so I can stay in my bed. The point is our our motives are mixed. We're still selfish. If you then, being evil, that being said, if even this evil or sinful earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, then this phrase, how much more? Do you see what he's doing? If you then, being evil, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're struggling this morning to to focus, if your mind has drifted off, I encourage you to come back now. Don't miss this point. Our confidence that we will receive good things from our Heavenly Father is grounded in his character. Our confidence that we will receive good things from God is grounded in his character. So what's the struggle here? It seems simple enough. Seems straightforward on the surface. I understand that I must ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. I seek my heavenly Father for wisdom and help and provision and I do so believing his promises but why is it that I am sometimes hesitant to bring my requests before him? Could it be that I'm struggling to trust his character? To trust that his plans for me are far and away better for what I can, than what I can imagine for myself? Am I struggling to trust that what God has deemed to be needful in my life is different from the things I think necessary? What keeps us from approaching our Heavenly Father? Sometimes we just don't want to ask for help. Our pride manifests itself in a million ways and and sometimes it manifests itself like this. I simply don't want to ask for help. We choose to sit in silence Refusing to ask. Other times we want to be self-made men. Self-made women. I can handle this. And it's in those moments that we forget the words of our Lord when he said to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Sometimes we view things as too small, too trivial. I don't need to bother God with this. I can figure it out. Or other times we we, we believe that God grows weary of me asking for help with the same struggle, with the same sin. I'm not going to bring this to him again. It's in those moments that, that we believe that God is like us. We forget that he's not like us. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Perhaps we think thoughts like this. I've got myself into this mess. You're finishing it in your head, right? 
I've got to get myself out of it. It's in times like this that we must speak truth to ourselves. When was the last time God dealt harshly with you? When did he deal roughly with you and called you to get yourself out of the mess that you got yourself into? When has he said, you've messed this up, now fix it. After you get it cleaned up, we can talk. The answer is, never. God doesn't deal with his children in that way. Don't for a moment believe that your sins, your troubles, the hole that we have dug for ourselves are beyond the reach of our Heavenly Father. We bring our request to our Heavenly Father, trusting His character. We come to Him recognizing, acknowledging, confessing, Lord, I've messed this up in a big way. I've dug a really deep hole and I have no idea how I'm going to get out and God, I need you. I need you. What do you need help with? Do you need wisdom in navigating a a difficult relationship? Ask him. God, she is so stubborn. She's not hearing me. Ask Ask your heavenly father, trusting his character. His character toward his children is good. We see his character on display in this, this parable in Luke. The parable we call the prodigal son. In Luke 15, this young man had made a mess of his life. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That sounds a little bit like I've dug this hole. Now I'll get myself out. But listen what happens. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So when we're hesitant to bring our request to our Heavenly Father, we need to ask What am I believing about his character? What are we to do? We're to trust him. We're to trust his character. We're to bring our requests before him, all of them, knowing that he delights to give good things to his children. We believe that God will hear and will answer our prayers, giving us what is good because it is of his very character to do so. 
And so as his children, this enables us to approach our Father with a humble confidence. Humble in the sense that we acknowledge we are desperate for help. The holes we're in are deep holes. But we have confidence. And our confidence lies in who God is. Our confidence lies in his character. One commentator writes at the beginning of his, of his comments on this section these words that I found to be helpful. Listen to what he says. If a young man wants to ask his father for something, he will pattern his request on the nature and temperament of his father. If the father is ill-tempered and stingy, the young man will ask for a little. He will take care to present his need in the most winsome and unobjectionable manner. If the father is good-natured, and generous, the child will present his need openly and with great confidence. Of course, the latter is a description of our Heavenly Father. I want to remind you of some of the attributes, some of the characteristics of God. These attributes that are revealed to us in Scripture, these attributes embolden us to bring our request before our Heavenly Father, confident that He will hear and will respond. First, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God knows all things. He knows what we need even before we ask. Matthew 6, 8. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows the future. We see this in Isaiah 46. So God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's able to do all things consistent with his nature. Genesis 18, 14 asks the question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Third, God is wise. At the end of Romans 11, Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Our God is a wise God. Fourth, God is good. The psalmist says very succinctly in Psalm 119, 68, You are good. And do good. You are good and do good. Fifth, our God is just. Our God is just. We think of retributive justice where he's punishing the wicked. He, he punishes and will punish those who break his law. Remunerative justice where he rewards those who obey him. God sees. He knows and he's a God of justice. Sixth, our God is loving. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Or Galatians 2, 20. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So we summarize. Who is our Heavenly Father? He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-wise. He's good, just, and loving. Romans 8, 28, and 29 tells us that for those who love him, for those who are called, he's working all things together for good. Should we not bring our request to him and trust his character? There should be a correlation here between what we know to be true about God and how we live our lives. This is what I know is true about God. Therefore, I will bring my requests before him. It's right for us to think to think about these things so that when we are stuck in a dark place spiritually and we're struggling to think clearly, the truths about the character of God and the way that he relates to his children will come to mind. We ask our Heavenly Father, trusting his character. As we've considered this passage this morning, I've repeated this phrase, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. And so if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been adopted into the family of God. And we have the joy of addressing him as our Heavenly Father. As children of God, we're, we're recipients of all of God's good gifts, not the least of which is the indwelling of his Holy Spirit who comforts us and guides us. God is our Father, and we're able to speak it to him as such. But this privilege is not for all. If you've not come to a place in your life where you have realized your need for a Savior, you haven't turned from your sins and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you're not able to relate to God as your heavenly father. The relationship is still one of an enemy. God's wrath remains on you. But the good news of the gospel The good news is that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will be adopted into the family of God and you will enjoy all the blessings of a child of God for all eternity. And so for the call, the call for you this morning is to come. It's to repent and believe the gospel. To put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And for those of us who, by God's matchless grace, have been saved, we may have confidence that our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. Rather, we ask our Heavenly Father, believing his promises, that he hears and will answer We ask our Heavenly Father, trusting his character, 
trusting his plans for us are good and right. And so we continue to ask and seek and knock. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. Thank you for dealing kindly with us as your children. And so as we go, we ask for your help. Remind us of truth. We need your help. We need your grace. Enable us to call upon you, believing that you will give us what is needful. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.